Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We've been talking about the structure of our relationship with God. And last week, we spoke about staying on. That uh, what the Lord has for us is more than just the thing that we ask for. That actually, what's even more powerful is what He has for us. We can ask God for things, but what He has for us beyond what we ask is even more rich and much more powerful than what we ask for. And many people stop at the healing or the provision or the, the, the answer to prayer that we have. But what we talked about last Sunday is the fact that what comes after that, that God gives us himself and what he has to do with us is even more the thing that actually establishes us in him. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit more, and here's another aspect of that. And please turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and it's a very um, well-known passage. And I'm not sure whether I've ever even spoken about this in BCF. But let's go to Luke chapter 10, and we will read it from verse 38. Okay, Luke chapter 10, reading from verse 38. Now as they were traveling along... He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So the first time we see Mary in this passage, she's already sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then let her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. How many of you have of you have not read this passage before. I want to put it to you that actually, this is one of the most salient and powerful and pa- passages that are at the heart of what the Lord has for us. And uh, before we go into it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are really intent about making us a people who are deeply in relationship with you to such an extent that in times of trouble, that relationship with you will not only cause us to have you as our mainstay, but also to shine brighter and be a source of salvation and deliverance and healing for those around us. I'm very burdened and aware of the fact that you are intent on getting us ready for the future. And so, Father, we ask you that you speak to us, set us free and heal us, and unite divided parts of our heart together towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to talk about distraction today uh, because distraction is something that was at the heart of uh, Martha's problem. But there's a way in which sometimes we can look at this passage and we think that it's a passage that sets off activism against quietism, you know, being active or being not active, being prayerful. And we can sometimes think of these two things as two things that are in opposition. But I would put it to you that actually, even though those things, those things are true, there is something very much more important and more close to the heart of God than just these two binaries or these two dichotomies, this dichotomy between these two things. And it has to do with distraction, actually. And the thing about distraction has to do with the fact that 
we can sometimes think of distraction as just the fact that our brain is just distracted by things, the external things that come, things come away, you're talking to someone and someone at the back and you're distracted by that. Distracted as something that is rather a bit of a nuisance and we can work on it, we can become more focused, we can be more concentrated and, and all that. I put it to you that the word distracted here that Jesus is using is a lot more serious than that. Distraction is not just a mental, neurological kind of thing that goes on, but I would tell you that actually when God speaks about um, distraction and the word for distraction is used here, it has to do with something that is much more pooling, much more powerful, much more connected with the kind of person that we are. It has to do with the fact that there is a connection between external outside things that can actually trouble us and the way in which our heart can become so hooked into it and caught up in it by virtue of the lack of God. What Jesus was speaking to Martha in terms of distraction had to do with the kind of distraction that's not just a sort of a, a brain thing or a sort of a, a, an external thing or, a, or a, a circumstantial thing. He's talking about distraction in such a way that we are so troubled, that we are so anxious, that we can't pull ourselves away from it. So we are talking about Mary's distraction, which was not a distraction that kind of like she's, you know, my mom used to call me scatterbrain. I'm just distracted. I, can't, I cannot even finish a sentence and I'll just go on to one thing, jumping all over. the He's not talking about that. He's talking about something that is deeply troubling for her. He's talking about anxiety. And so when he says to Martha that you are, you are troubled or you have many cares or, she, or the, the writer Luke says she was cumbered, uh, not just distracted, but cumbered. She's talking about, he's talking about something that pulls us but also has a hook into a place in us that's hookable, that's subject to those external things. So this, we're not talking about distraction as a neurological kind of thing, but we're talking about distraction as something that is deeply in us, that causes us to be subject to it. And I mean by subject, subject bonded and bound in bondage to it. It has this, the fact, it has to do with the fact that there are, when, when the heart is empty of substance, or someone who is so compelling, it finds its identity, it finds its solutions, its solution to problems in other things as well. When the heart is not solid, it begins to be shaken by many things that are outside. So we become subject to circumstances, words, thoughts, people, influences out there. It's almost as if when our heart is empty or it's vacant, it hooks on to things outside of it. That is why people find identity in others. That's why people actually hope that other people will give them a name. They're hoping someone, some senior person or some teacher or some parent or some person authority can speak into them a name that they are looking for. The distraction has to do with the fact that Martha... She welcomed Jesus, and there's something wonderful about that. She welcomed Jesus. The word welcome is not just like a sort of a, a throwaway word. No, she really welcomed Jesus, but as she got involved with preparing the food and all that, and I'm, I'm sure she must be thinking, how many dishes shall we get for him? Five, six? And then she begins to think, oh boy, this is a bit of a burden. I need help. Jesus, the master, the rabbi is here. And hospitality, remember, in that culture is a very, very important value. It's a shame not to give hospitality, whether it's wine at the, at the uh, wedding at Cana or hospitality with Jesus. And so she begins to get stressed out by her serving. And instead of the welcome, the serving becomes the issue. Because what happens is that she begins to maybe be concerned about how Jesus is receiving the welcome receiving the hospitality, and hospitality becomes the, the thing itself. What do you say? And she begins to say, to wonder, what does he think about my hospitality? 
What does he think about my serving, my ministry? The things that I'm doing to make him happy. What does he think of me? Oh heck, this is not going well. I just burned the olives. Oh shoot. He's going to think there's a deeper issue now. And he'll start doing therapy on me. Oh no. There's something impure about the way in which I just did this. And Mary is not helping me. What is she doing? She's just sitting at his feet. Lazy bum. And you can imagine how she can feel. Before long, this welcoming of Jesus becomes some other thing. Yeah? Becomes something other thing. I need help. I need Mary to help me. And before long, she's concerned, she's, she's concerned about the, after, after welcome Jesus, welcoming Jesus, she's concerned about how Jesus is going to take the hospitality. And then she feels if she doesn't get help, she's going to be um, not looked at kindly. And then she begins to start worrying about Mary, who's got issues, who's not helping. She's lazy or she's, she gets caught up in all these things. Before long, she's distracted by Mary. And what happens is that distraction happens when especially there's an anxiety. And then we find that there's a need for this particular solution or this particular thing to happen to quell the anxiety. But that thing is not happening. So before long, we are anxious about that thing. We're not just anxious about how are we going to serve Jesus, but we are anxious about that person who's not helping you to serve Jesus or that this particular circumstance is not happening, or the money isn't coming in, or the approval is not coming in, or this particular letter that you're supposed to be having doesn't come in. Before long, we add distraction to distraction. T.S. Eliot has this line in um, Burnt Norton in the four quartets. It says, we're distracted from distraction by distraction. I used to think, that's just playing around with words. Then I realized what he's saying is this. There are distractions, there are layers of distractions. And when we have an empty heart, when we don't know, we don't have the presence of God strong in us, what happens is that we are shaken by external things, outside things. Things that we want that we can't get or things that are needed that we are afraid that we will not have. And when that happens, we try to find solutions. And so, this, and if the solutions are not forthcoming, we get anxious about this thing. If this doesn't happen by the 10th of July, there is a problem there. And so before long, we, instead of being worried about this, we are worried about 10th of July. Make sense? So there's this distraction thing. Now, I would put it to you that what uh, Luke chapter 10 about is, is about it's not just about activism and not being active and just being sitting before the Lord, you know, kind of like, oh, smell the roses kind of thing. I think it's about something much more deep. And what, what Mary is experiencing is what we all experience. That way in which we are hooked by an empty heart into something, things that, it, that will, will grab us because of the, the lack of strong convictions. Lack of solidity that may be in there. So we're talking about uh, the root of distraction. And distraction not as just a, a sort of a, a, a neurological thing or a, a mental thing or a brain thing or a just this is a, this circumstantial thing. But we think of distraction as something that troubles us, that gives us anxiety and gives us fear or makes us pray to a lot of external catching us. Okay, so I'd like, like us to talk about that because Jesus, he's addressing that deeper issue. Not the, not the fact that we are just distractible by things, but there's something that pulls us. Praise God. Distracted from distraction by distraction. We are distracted from distraction by distraction. And this second distraction 
has to do with many must-haves or must-happens in order for our fears to be relieved. One of the things that actually I, I can give you as an example was that um, when I was uh, waiting for my citizenship to come, I, had, I was a Singapore citizen and I was applying for Malaysian citizenship. And I realized that I could not get Malaysian citizenship or get a job, sorry, get a job unless I was a citizen. And the only way in which I could get a job was to get a work permit. And in order for you to get a work permit to work in Malaysia as a foreigner, you have to prove that you're the only one who could do that job. The job I was asking for was to be an English teacher. And believe me, a lot of people can do that job. And so I waited for a work permit and I never was able to get a work permit and so I was first worried about getting a job or getting citizenship or getting a work permit. So my one problem became two problems because I was worried about not getting citizenship and not getting my work permit. And I remember thinking about this and all my prayers that I would pray to God was, Lord, please let me have that work permit. Oh, Lord, let me have citizenship. But it began to be clear to me that citizenship was not going to come because I had waited already for 11 years. My dad had applied for citizenship for me and it wasn't coming soon. I had just graduated and I was jobless. So as a result of that, I started praying for the work permit and it wasn't coming. And what happened was that... Um, my fears and my anxieties, my distractions, so to speak, began to multiply. Distracted from distraction by distraction. And the only thing I could do was, after a while was to surrender my life to God. And I said to God, it looks like I'm not going to get this job as an English instructor. It looks like I... I can't get my tutorship um, in the university because at the time I was doing my master's. It looks like I can't get all these things. And I realized that the only thing I could do was to surrender my life to God and say, whatever you want, whatever you want. And it was at that time where God began to put into me the fact that I am loved by Him. I began to put into me that He cares for me first, before he cares for my job. And I realized that God was relating to me on that level, that he loves me and he cares for me. But I was not wanting to relate to him on that because the urgent thing was that I just need a job. And my self-esteem was going down, 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 down because of the fact that I couldn't get a job because I didn't have my, my citizenship, because I didn't have a work permit and all that. And the Lord spoke to me during one of, one of the services in my church. Surrender your life to God because the Lord knows what He has for you. And it was at this point that God called me into full-time ministry. And I realized, you know, even though I go into full-time ministry, I still need a work permit in Malaysia. And so, but the issue that God was saying is this, I want you to be mine. And when I began to surrender that to him, you won't believe it. In one month, I got a work permit and I also got my citizenship. In one month, after ele more than 11 years waiting for that citizenship, there was something that was needed. I believe that's what Jesus said when he, when he this is what Jesus meant when he said, but one thing is necessary. That one thing is necessary, that is necessary, is not just this more important thing than your concerns. It is actually one thing is necessary to take care of your concerns. He was not saying, these are your concerns, your concerns are not important, but this, look, look at this thing, you, you waiting before me is more important than that. 
Of course, it's more important. But he was also saying that one thing is necessary pertaining to the thing that you're troubled about. Amen? He's not just saying, don't bother about these things. You are so worldly. You're too activistic and all that. He's not saying that to Martha. He's saying, you see all these problems? You are troubled by many things. Your distractions have, dis- have, have become distractions multiplied many times. When you don't have a center, anything else becomes your center, don't you think? Your boss, your, your, your family, your, your life, your comforts, your food, before long, your birthday, before long, everything, how people are taking, taking care of you or, or treating you or, or, or ignoring you. Before long, you are distracted by many things. Not distracted in your mind, just in your, in your head. Distracted by the very worry of it. Because when you don't have a core inside you, when you don't have a solid presence of God in, in you, you are constantly looking to the outside world and the outside world is always giving you messages. You're not good enough. You're not acceptable. Your past has disqualified you for, for anything good. God doesn't love you. Before long, many things will distract you and pull you. You're not good enough. That's why nobody wants to come to your shop. Your product is hopeless. Before long, you will be thinking, you are not good enough. But you will continually add distraction to distraction because of the fact that the nature of that distraction is that whenever we have a problem or we have an anxiety, we look to something else outside to solve that problem, right? And when that doesn't, then you add another distraction, which is another solution to that problem. Before long, you've, in, you started with one, and now you have three distractions with all that. And so Jesus is, is very deep when he's talking to, to Martha about this. The lack of something in the center that is throbbing and thriving and, and speaking and empowering and growing inside us causes us to be like viruses. A virus doesn't have ribosomes. Those ribosomes are what causes, uh, they're like a factory. No, I, better have, I have to read this because I have to confess my ignorance. Everything I know about this viruses has been told me in the past one hour or so by my wife and my daughter. <laughs> so I'm going to just read it. Viruses have no ribosomes, mitochondria, or other organelles. They're completely dependent on their, on their cellular hosts for energy production and protein synthesis. They replicate only within cells of the host that they infect. They cannot replicate themselves. Viruses cannot replicate themselves. They are, in that sense, empty. They have no rib- ribosomes. They have to attach themselves to a cell and they will inject into that cell their own genetic material. Correct me if I'm wrong, okay? All those who know. They have to inject their own genetic material into the cell, the host cell, and then the host cell's um, um, apparatus will reproduce the virus. Before long, the host cell is reproducing the virus, and it will die. But it will be changed. The devil is like that. The devil is... The devil is not possessed by the devil. The devil is possessed by emptiness. The lack of good. But the lack of good is not just a vacuum. It is a presence of something that is powerful. It, 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 it exerts a strong force. And so what happens is this. The devil is like those things outside and they are ready to hook you, hook themselves to you and reproduce their nothingness in you. Before long, your cell structure, your own character, begins to reproduce spurious things from the world outside. And that is why we are so bonded and in bondage to people-pleasing. We are so in bondage to what people think about us. Because what happens is that when we allow that 
virus, so to speak, to attach itself to us, it will actually make us doubly, triply, quadruply, quintuply, septuply um, in bondage to it. And we will reproduce itself. Before long, we think that our identity lies in these particular things, our sexual preference, our particular political persuasions, our particular right brain or left brain characteristic, our race. We begin to think that those are the essential things. Those are real things, don't get me wrong, but they become the essential thing, the, the, the core of our being. Before long, what is reproduced and produced and, uh, and, and replicated inside us is viral stuff. And before long, what we do, we, we become, is a, is, a, is a host cell that has been changed beyond recognition. What God wants to do is to take that out because the only way in which you can, you can, you can, you can become a Christian is to die to that self. He takes it out and He puts Himself in there. And when He is in you because you have become a child of God, that child of God you, that is in you is, has the power to grow and grow and grow and grow. Amen? So that's really important. The lack of substance inside us, the lack of identity in God, lack of loyalty into God, lack of single-mindedness in, in, in God causes us to become people who are distracted and become empty. And when, there's, when we become empty, we will latch on to all kinds of things and all that. And those things may be true and they are actually uh, valid and, and legitimate, but we will make them not valid. We'll make them viral. And so as a result of that, it is true that phrase has gone viral actually has a whole other level of meaning for us. We become made in the image of those outside things that we've been talking about. So that's, that's the thing about the, the virus. Now here's the other thing about it. We also become like viruses. We become viruses because of the fact that we are in bondage to external things. And so because of that, we act like viruses because we attach ourselves to people, communities, ideas, groups of, groups of, of, of like-minded people. And we begin to get our identity from those people. We begin to attach ourselves to habits, pleasure, feelings, pleasurable experiences. We begin to attach ourselves to things. And then before long, we can only live within the ambit of that. There is a way in which we can easily be in bondage to pleasure. And I've noticed this in our society here. We are such a pleasure-seeking company that we have no business left on this earth except to pleasure ourselves. You think of people who have retired, they just want to go get a boat and live far away in the beach and all that, and bless nobody except themselves. Now, when Jesus spoke to um, uh, Martha, he used two words when he said, Martha, Martha, verse, uh, verse 41, you are worried and bothered, bothered about many things. That word worried is very, very interesting. It's a word um, in Greek that uh, it really means you are bound up with seeking to promote your own interests. That's the word merim nao. You know, is sometimes um, uh, translated careful. You're careful. But you're really... What it's saying is this, you're, you're careful about your stuff. Now, here's the thing. When you're a virus, okay, when you have an em empty of purpose of God's purpose in, in your life, what will happen is that everything of God will be for your purpose. Your ministry will be territorial. The thing you do to bless other people will be about yourself being, having the ability to bless other people. You'll be overly uh, concerned with your anointing. You'll be overly concerned about how, we, how well you're received. Before long, your welcome of Jesus doesn't become pure. It becomes careful. Yeah? It becomes careful. Overly concerned to promote your own interests. It becomes merim na'o. 
The other word that was used by Jesus is also troubled, or uh, in my version, let's see what my version says. Bothered, bothered. That's the word tor badzo. And that word troubled means disturbed, you're disquieted. Tor badzo. That's where the word turbulent comes from. It's like the turbulence inside you. And what Jesus was saying is this. Not that you are distracted in your brain. No, this goes far deeper than that. You are torbado. That is, you are turbulent inside. There's whether anger or worry or just sick, just pure sick with worry. You're disturbed, you're disquieted. And everybody around you can feel it. You're concerned about these things. And here's Jesus, and he's here to heal us. Not to condemn us, but to heal us. Isn't that? You can see the tone in which he speaks to Martha. Martha, Martha, relax. There's one thing that's necessary. You only need to do one thing. Of course, many commentators are answering. Is that one thing referring to one dish? No need to have five, six dishes? Or is it one thing that's most necessary? And the majority of scholars believe it's not to do with dishes. It's not talking about food. It's talking about one thing in life that's most important. And she said, Mary has taken the better portion. Praise God. Let's have a look at this. Verse verse 41, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What Jesus is really saying to Martha is this. There is one solution. There is one way. And you have to somehow clear all the many things out of your mind. Because there is one way in which you will not have trouble. He's not saying, focus on me and don't, don't be engaged with all the other things. He's just saying there's one thing that is necessary for the problem that you're, you're expressing, for the, the sickness or the trouble or the, or the pain that you're experiencing. There's one thing that's necessary. And Mary has chosen the better portion. Isn't it like God to be like that? You see, we want to do things and we look at service to God in terms of things that, are, that would be outcomes that would take place. Right? I want to serve you in this ministry so that this thing good will happen. And I'm worried if this thing doesn't go happen because if, that, if that's the case, I'm unfruitful. Yes? And so what Jesus is saying is this. Before anything happens, you have to have this one thing. And if you look at the whole of Scripture... That one thing is always a priority to those people who are zealous to want to do something, have good outcomes, or to even have good intentions for God's kingdom, all that. And that has to do with the thing that Mary is doing. She came before the Lord, she surrendered her time before the Lord, and she waited on the Lord. Now, here's Joshua in Joshua chapter 5. He's been instructed by the Lord to go and take Jericho. He's instructed to take Jericho, a near impossible situation. We are often given such impossible situations that are too burdensome for us to carry. And it's not an abuse. It is the Lord who's actually asking us to do these things. It's a burden that we are heavy laden with. We are all called to carry burdens that are beyond us. And He's not abusing us. He's actually giving us something great. But we can't do it. But if we are like Martha, those things will be distracting us 
a Jericho would have 5,000 or 500,000 distractions for Joshua. He'll have to think of the plans. He'll think of all the things that he needs to happen in order had to, to, to happen, the must-happens, the must-haves, before they can conquer Jericho. He's thinking about these things. He's obsessed by these things, and these things have crowded into his mind, and he's troubled. He's on edge, and he's wanting to know how to do this, and he's looking out for solutions. He had come for the, for, the, for, the, for the life of him, find out what the, what the solution is. And he comes before the captain of the Lord of hosts, and the captain of the Lord of hosts comes to him, and his sword is drawn, and Joshua is thinking about one thing. He's thinking about, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Right? Is this a good circumstance? Is this good news or bad news? Is this just another enemy? Not that I can take another one. But is this, or maybe it's a good thing. And so he asked the inevitable question, in relation to all the troubles that he's having, right? He asked the, 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 the question that is connected with his troubling situation. And that is, are you for us or are you against us? Right? The terms in which he's asking this question are in terms of his troubles, his unbearable situation. And the commander of the Lord of says, neither, no. For as the captain of the Lord of hosts, here am I come. Okay? And so what is <laughs> totally irrelevant, it seems, right? Like, I never asked you that question, who are you? I don't care who you are. I care more about whether I'm going to have victory or not. And sometimes we're like, we're like that with God. And he says, do you know who I am? I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. I'm another, another way of saying Christ. I'm God. And Joshua realizes that all his questions that are based upon all these external outside things and based upon his own lack of something inside are put aside and he bows down before the captain of the Lord of hosts because he suddenly realized that he did not know who he was talking to. He was talking to the one who was weightier than the very earth that he was standing on. He was greater and bigger and more massive than the universe that this little earth was, was floating around on. He was talking to the Lord of the universe, the creation of all things, infinite power and fearsomeness and love. He didn't realize that. And so he comes and he realizes suddenly his eyes are take a little bit open. And he says, what do you want me to do? And he realizes he gets the question correct, right? Okay, what is your agenda for me? Rather than coming to him, to God in prayer and says, okay, I have all these things. I need you to do this. Please, please heal this brother this and, brother and sister that. Please provide for me this and provide for her that or provide for him that. And all that whole list of things. He just puts that aside in the slight of His glory, the glory of God and His grace. That is the prior one thing. Unless you have this one thing, you cannot ask the other things. You cannot be in intimacy with God because you're always relating to Him from a center in self. Yeah? But how can we do that? We can't. If we are empty inside, if we've not developed the presence of God inside us and it's not, and it's not solid, we can't do that. We can try. We can try to turn our minds so that God is the center. Okay, 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 okay. I can try to do that. But we can't because we are in bondage. We are bondage, in bondage to these viruses. We can't help reproducing viruses, emptiness. All those things, are those outside things. Because it's in us. Distraction is an outside thing. It is an inside thing. And so, Joshua comes before him and, he, and he, he bows before them and he asks the right question when he comes to, 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 to the captain of the Lord of hosts. And that's what we can do when we come before him in prayer. What do you want? And the captain of the Lord of hosts says, this is going to be difficult. You have to take your shoes from off your feet because the shoes are what protects you. And then you can feel that the ground is holy. Then your toes and your feet, your ankles, you all will feel the holy. The holy will come in contact with you. Until that happens, your sandals will always prevent you and separate you from the holy. And that's why you surrender yourself to God. Amen? That is actually what happened. Martha's problem 
is that she did not discern the presence of God. When Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, you don't have to turn to it. Luke chapter 19. If I can find it. It speaks about the fact that, that you will be attacked, you will be brought down to the ground, and your, and your buildings will be destroyed because you did not recognize your day of visitation. Correct? He laments over Jerusalem, not because of the fact they did evil things, but because of the fact that their opportunity, because of the presence of God, they couldn't even see it. They could not help but argue about things from the testament, from the, from the, from the, from the rabbis, uh, uh, oral, oral traditions and all that. They couldn't. And Martha could not recognize that she was, my gosh, in the presence of Almighty God. And while Martha would say, tell Mary to stop it and start helping me, what are you thinking? Don't you know the presence of God? What do you think you want to do? What do you think that you can do for God when He is right there in the presence and you don't acknowledge Him and you talk about piddly things like your food? Legitimate though. But in the presence of God, in the light of His glory and grace, there is nothing. What are you thinking? You are not recognizing your day of visitation. You're not recognizing that in your midst today, in this very moment, the answer to all your needs is there. Won't you bow down and leave everything and, and forget everything because you are in the presence of someone who's so massive, who is the answer to every longing, who can heal every part of you, who can make you a completely different person and take away all your troubles, take away all your cares and all that. Do you not understand? I want to say to Martha, what I would say to myself, what am I thinking? Correct or not? As we say in Malaysia, correct or not? Huh? Correct or not correct? What are you thinking? You are in the presence of Almighty God and you're talking about this? And that's how we are, isn't it? We are utilitarian with God. God comes in his, all His glory and His grace and He comes in His graciousness and He even bows down to His and, and wants to help us. And what do we do? Say, Lord, help me this one, this one, and do this. Sorry, I, I don't have much time. We're just passing by. I give you this amount of time. I give you a handkerchief amount of time. And, and that's all. Because you do not know the day of your visitation, Jesus said. Martha did not know the day of her visitation. We're not just talking about activism or quietism. Those are piddly things compared with the, the very fact that you are in front of God and God can touch you. He can heal you, but He has to strip you. But if He strips you, He will protect you and He will make you whole. And He can, and he can wash away all your past and all the things that you have lost. And all the things that have been done to you, all the things that have scarred you and injured you and have made you have no self-esteem. He can do that. He's in the, don't waste your time. Because He is here. And Jesus said, because you did not know your day of visitation, you will be destroyed. You pass by, like we were saying last Sunday. You just pass by. But you were not like the disciples who said, no, I'm not satisfied for us passing by. Stay, stay with us. Break bread. Let me eat of you today. Amen? I feel that that the, the Lord has this for us. I'm very convinced that we have a passing moment. But we can extend that moment so that, that that passing moment doesn't become just an incomplete encounter in which God can actually stay. And we wait, wait before Him. We were singing about that. And that our hearts don't need to be fragmented and distracted and divided anymore. But you can't get into this thing in which I become a Christian so I do ministry. I become a Christian so that he can uh, actualize my gifts. You can't do that. You're not with God. You can do it with each other. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But not with God. You can't do ministry. You can't do service. You can't do helping other people or do gooding. Or you can't do justice. You can't do love. You can't do anything. Unless you recognize the day of your visitation that he is the one. Or else you'll be just recommending yourself. And you'll be giving yourself away. And it's not adequate. And it's... You believe me, I'm not adequate. 
And by giving myself, I will continue to be another distraction to my brother or to another sister because they'll think. And so what God wants to do is this. He wants to bring us. Hallelujah. You feel the presence of God. God wants to come in such a way that before we do any kind of stuff, before we grow as a church, before we do anything, we come and we discern the day of visitation with the Lord. We have stuff that we need to bring before the Lord. It's not stuff that other people need to know about, but it's stuff that has to do with the fact that God, in His Godness, has made more than provision because of His death and His absolute suffering and incarnation. Our deliverance and for the healing of our pain. If you lose that, you forget about that, and you try to go to other things so that you can sort of manage the pain, you will miss out the visitation of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. No, God has more for us than, than all these things. And if you go to other distractions and secondary hopes and, and secondary means of, of alleviating pain, at best you'll alleviate your pain, you'll never have a revelation of God. And you'll be back to the same person because you're the same, having, you're going to have the same feelings, the same maladies, the same kind of idiocy than we all had before. I'm speaking to myself. And so Jesus says, one thing is necessary. Take the shoes from off your ground. And that's really what Mary was doing. Do you not think that Mary was not stressed out by Martha's huffing and puffing? Do you think Mary was not stressed out by the fact that we had a big dinner to, to organize and there's, they're short-handed in the kitchen? I would put it to you that Mary is not this kind of, kind of a whimsical, kind of feet off, not, not on the ground kind of person. I would say that it took a lot for Mary to surrender herself in spite of everything that was happening with Martha and the need to actually come before Jesus. And I don't think Mary was just going... Lovely, lovely words of truth. I think she was thinking, I've had a horrible life. And none of this following you has been enough. And none of the forgiveness of my family has healed me. I think Mary is thinking, I need some stronger medicine than what I've been getting. I cannot manage the pain anymore. Do you have something for me, Lord? And when I listen to you, I'm going to listen to you real hard. I'm going to ask a lot of questions because I need a word from you. Because if you can heal the demon-possessed, you can heal me too. That is the kind of relationship we need with God. There are many of us in which our past has caught up with us. Or things that we've neglected are now coming home to roost. And you and I need a Jesus who's more than someone who can be subsumed under the many, many agendas that I have and the many, many needs and troubles that I have. I can't have that. That's not good enough. I can't have a diminished Jesus of following me all around and being my assistant. I need a Jesus who's bigger than me. Blow me away. For that to happen, I need to give myself to Him. Amen? We've been singing about it, actually. We've been talking about it. We've been communing with God about it in communion. And I can, I can understand how it is. It's so easy for me to be caught up in the problems of ministry. And when the, it began to be clear that the building, this building was up for sale, and there were many people who were wanting to buy this building, the building was being sold for the unheard of sum of 2.5 million. At that time, our church was insignificant, insignificant in power, in, in money, in terms of on, on, and, and attendance. But we had been given the first right of refusal in the contract, so we at least needed to examine it. And I remember 
Some of you are here still. That we, we brought the covenanters before the, the Lord together and we sought the Lord. And the Lord spoke to us that we should go for it. The thing about it is, though, is that I'm, I'm, I was the senior pastor. And in that sense, I had read enough books about building projects that really went badly. In which there was one book by Charles Blake um, in which he actually ended up in prison. I looked at the numbers and I looked at the, the, the insurmountable hurdles, uh, mountains that we had ahead of us. And I began during that meeting feeling really confirmed and really bold about it. And I spoke to the church in, in some boldness and that. But when I went home, I began to feel the awful dread of the fact that the numbers do not make sense at all. They had no parity. I don't know how to describe you from what was being asked. And so we made our first thing. And the more we move forward, the more and more obstacles we experience, including a developer who wanted to actually buy the building, buy the whole land, and was suing us now because we were obstructing that. And I remember feeling a, mo- a shift away from the exhilaration that I felt that the whole church could hear from God and, and, and could, could, uh, could actually uh, move in this direction, was so bold. And then I felt that, oh, I have to bear a lot of it. And I began to be more concerned and maybe obsessed, is a better word, by all the things that could go wrong in this. I was troubled. I was distracted. And for a long time, I would go for these meetings and these meetings would talk about all the obstacles and all the problems that were going on. One year passed, two years passed, three years passed, and no no resolution. And I remember thinking, as I was in a little prayer meeting with some, some people, there's only one way. Damn the torpedoes, we're going to go. And if we, that fails, we're going to go in a cloud of smoke or in a fire. It was at that time I realized I had to serve my reputation, everything, my safety to God. And it happened after someone gave me a call from one, one of the buyers one of the potential buyers says, we will sue until you have no money left because we know we have unlimited funds and you have very limited funds. But we will sue you until you have nothing left. And so I went home with that in my, my mind. And I realized what it is to be distracted. I could feel that when I'm talking to people, I was distracted. I just couldn't. I just couldn't fully be there. Except when we went to pray. And I was thankful that with many of these people who I was meeting, we didn't talk much. I said, let's pray. When we pray, I just come before the Lord. Whatever the problem the person that I was meeting with had, I'd come before the Lord and let the Lord just wash over me. And I remember I would be praying with people and there would be long silence before I said anything because I needed to get myself into a place where my mind was not distracted and going all over, ricocheting all over the place. It was at that time when the Lord would come and He would give me peace. It was not a peace that it's going to be okay. No, that was not what it. The peace that came from me saying, I will surrender to you whatever happened. When that happened, something solid got there. The next time that guy called me again, something of a boldness had happened. Something had been deposited. I was no longer looking to what he was, other people are saying and pundits were saying about it. I was listening to the Lord. And the more and more I surrendered myself to him and listened to him, the more and more I felt confident. Not just that he is saying that it's going to be okay, but because of the fact that he's my strength and my stay. You see, if you only seek the Lord for the, what the predicted outcome would be, oh, it's going to be okay, I will, I, will, I will do this, I will do that, you will not know God more. 
because you're still conversing with Him in, the, in your own terms. What God says when He comes before you is this. I set the agenda. I start the conversation. You just listen. You just wait. I have things to tell you that are more important than what you have to ask me. And they will answer all your questions. But you've got to know this. I have more goodness than, will cover, than, than you think is needed to cover your anxiety. So I stopped praying. I mean, I stopped praying by asking God, give us this, give us a two million and two and a half. I just stopped that. I would come before Him and I would say, what do you say? And the Lord will say, take the shoes from off your feet. And I will spend time distract from my distraction, unhooking myself from all those things. Things will come up and I will unhook myself from these distractions. Sometimes it would take an hour. Sometimes it would take 15 minutes. Sometimes I knew what to do. Before long, I knew with a routine. I come before him, I take my shoes off. I found myself actually physically taking my shoes off, feeling the tenderness of my feet on the ground, feeling the need for God. And I said, at this time, he will help me and he will show, okay, you're worried about this. Every distraction that will come at me, I'd say, I'd welcome it. I'd say, okay, good. This is going to God. This is going to God. And I wait until it, it, it left. I'll wait. I'll bring it before the Lord. And I'll bring it before him, pray in the spirit until it lifted. I didn't just say it and then go on to the next thing. No, I just say it, leave it, leave it there and feel the fact that I still felt the distraction and the troubleness. And I keep on bringing before the Lord, face to face with God, until He just left. And once it left, I go on to the next thing. And the Lord would just lead me, one by one by one. The Lord cleaned me up. And then He spoke to me. The question is not whether you are going to get the building. It's whether you can occupy my purposes for this building. Whether you can be a people who are wanting to reach out to people or not. And I said, and I remember the church responded beautifully. said, we want to fulfill your purposes. So when we finally came to the day where we had an, a, a big powwow with the owners of the building, we had come to a point where it was a stalemate. There's nothing we could do. They didn't want to sell. We, could, we couldn't buy, but we, wanted, we couldn't make them sell. And then finally, they asked me one question. What do you want? What do you want? And by that time, those who were on our side were saying, it's gone. It's game over. They're not going to sell. I never thought of the fact that they may not want to sell. They said, we won't sell. We won't sell. Then a weird thing happened. We were all praying as well. They just asked me a question. What do you want? Then I shared with them what the Lord had spoken to us as a church. We considered a privilege that we can be in this building. That it is not only a privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. We've been praying for PCC. We, we, we pray that God will use us and that we will fulfill the noble purposes of this building. Who is sufficient unto this? And I said, if you give us a chance and reduce the amount you're selling by $1 million, we will consider it something we will be faithful to. That is why we do this retrofit. That's why we do everything that we can. Because God has done a marvelous thing for us. It's not just about buildings. It's about His purposes. And we have yet to fulfill it. We have a great purpose ahead of us, don't you? Everyone doing his part. Every doing, everyone doing a part. Yeah. And so because of that, they said, okay, you wait for a while. And they made us wait for about almost an hour. We were praying and pray, praying and praying and praying. He came back and says, we will sell it to you for one and a half million dollars. And we will take care of the, the um, what do you call it? The, 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 the costing of all the repair on the roof and we'll take care of the repair of a certain part of the roof and we'll do a lot of the other things as well. And from being 
in an an adversarial relationship, but polite, to being one in which we were bonded together, God had brought us this path. You see, if I ask the question myself, it will always inevitably be a selfish question. Ministry, yeah, sure, ministry, but it's a selfish because it comes from the point of view of myself. But what God wants to do is to cause us to be like Mary, come before Him and wait on Him until all of our insights, all of our agendas are given to Him. Given to Him. Take my silver, take my gold, not a mite will I withhold. Take my time, take my heart, take my relationships, take my everything. Amen? And as, 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 as we did that, God set us free. The building today now stands as a testimony of something that God had said. Years ago, before, when, when, when VCF was just started, Cindy Jacobs, some of you know who Cindy Jacobs is, is a, a, a woman prophet. She said to us, she called me up and she says, this, I think we were maybe one or two years old as a Christian. At best, three years old as a Christian, as, as, as a church. She says, God has a building for you on a very prominent part of Pasadena. I thought, what? At that time, I don't even want a building. What a... I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping that she'd say something more about ministry. She was talking about building. Now I think about it, all the, all the tra- travail and the trials we've had through this building is very, very significant. Amen? Okay, let's finish off with some practicals. God is here, and He's not stationary, but He's here. Don't get up with thing, get caught up with things that are just in, things without allowing yourself to apprehend the presence of God. Yeah, even ministry, in prayer, it's more important to take our shoes off. You cannot be intimate with God from a center in self that is pinned to outside things. Allow yourself to be habituated to worship. Allow yourself to be habituated to worship. Because worship, to many prayers, has no value. Worship is not just singing. It's not even the healing experience of it. The worship is for God. Amen? Worship is what heals us from being found in ourselves to be found in God. It is through worship that our center moves out and we are released from the bondage of self-will to being set free to be towards God. A happy person is a person who's not bound up with himself or herself, even if himself or herself gets what they want. A happy person is a person who is freed from that and is free to love another person better than they love themselves. Jesus loved, him, loved us more than he loved himself. A happy person is a person who doesn't use these techniques so that they can be happy. But a happy person is truly one who has worship and in worship has released himself or herself towards God where you are saying, Lord, what do you want? I don't have a horse in this race. What do you want? Amen? So that's why in daily prayer, we want to spend time just worshipping worshipping. Because sometimes what happens, we go straight into the prayer items and I don't think that's the best thing. We just worship Him so that we can be formed by the presence of God. That our intuitions, our instincts can be pointed in the right direction. Because you have instincts and you have intuitions but they're all pointed in all kinds of ways that are determined by self. Worship allows God to just stroke us and to stroke us into the right direction. And bring our heart together. We can't do it by ourselves. All we can do is worship God. We worship God and, and, and let Him be the center of it. And when that happens, He does a miracle in worship. He actually comes and He hones us. Brings us back to Him. You and I need to worship. We need worship more than God needs it. Now is the time, number three, is the time to seek all that VCF has for you. If God has brought, led you here, brought you here, there is a certain time of visitation. 
Don't waste time. Be greedy. Be hungry. Be obnoxious, obnoxious if you need to be. Let's say, I will not be denied here of what God has for me. If God has brought me here into this church for a purpose, I don't want to leave this church without fulfilling that purpose. So, not all of us will be in BCF forever. But while you are here in BCF, God has something for you and me. Don't be satisfied unless you have the full, the full banana or the whole, the full, what, what is the, what is the American phrase? The, sorry, enchilada, not banana, <laughs> sorry. Oh, man. Be habituated to worship, yeah? Now is the time to seek come. I want to invite you for fall conference. That's where the things that God wants to do that take a long time is concentrated within a short amount of time. But after conference, don't leave it as an experience. Pursue it. Pillars, prayer, be disciple. Seek out. Seek out discipleship as well. Because I don't know how long we have. As we were worshipping, it struck me that um, our fears of losing out, our reputation, our anxieties are being surrendered to God. We sang that song. Invite Him, practice His presence until trust begins to come in. Yeah? Trust begins to, to, to form inside us. We pursue the Lord. And you know, as we are pursuing the Lord, we don't have that much trust. But at a certain point when we pursue the Lord, keep pursuing, then we'll feel the pushback of His right hand upholding us. Don't pursue the Lord and leave it there. Pursue the Lord until you find when you have this, this is what you take home with you. Not just this. It's this. When the Lord comes against you, the, Psalm 68 says, the Lord prevents you. He prevents you. He comes against it. Equal opposite reaction. Pushes you up. And that feeling of God pushing you up is what we take. We call it trust. So when I say I trust God, I can remember and feel, have it within me, the feeling of God pushing me up. Yeah? It's not all me doing it. Amen. Let us pray.